0: You are listening to the Light Overtime Podcast with David Sargent and Corey Bartos. Hello, everybody. Dang Yo. <laughs> Every time.
1: I tried Every to beat time. you this time.
0: Yeah, it's all right. I, I purposely waited for you to talk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we got a spicy one today. Uh, we're going to... I was going to start with what we're drinking, but I don't really care. I'm just going to not waste any time to get you going to our first topic, which is uh, this Aurora Borealis show. I'm sending you right into it. We're going to go for it. I watched the video last night. Um, It's pretty spectacular. If you all don't know, there was a a pretty wild storm that I'll let uh, David get into in a moment, but uh, he has a pretty stellar video that I'll have in the show notes to watch because Honestly, uh, as far as like real-time video of a show, it was kind of nuts. So I'll just let you take it away and kind of talk about uh, what that was, kind of the information getting into it, what made you go, okay, I definitely got to go out and shoot tonight, and then uh, kind of just like what it's like chasing those those uh, storms.
1: All right, sure. Um, so if I can set a little bit of history, I've been shooting the Northern Lights for for almost as long as I've been shooting. Um, I started doing astrophotography just one year after I picked up a camera, which was back in, I started shooting in 2012, so I've been doing astro since 2013, so 10 years now. And it didn't take me long to understand that we were in a position here in Northern Michigan to somewhat frequently get opportunities to photograph Northern Lights. So I've been doing that a long time. I've probably seen close to a hundred different displays of a northern of northern lights and of varying intensities and varying whether or not it's even worth being out there for. But uh, this was one of those that was absolutely worth it. Um, you've probably seen image after image, probably some videos because this was one of those storms that. Um, it's kind of once in a lifetime, especially if you're not an avid chaser like I am. Um, if you're not and you just happen to like be outside that night, you're probably never going to see a storm like that in your life again. Uh, the last time it was of similar intensity and, and the type of storm that it was, was June 2015, the last time I saw one like that, and the data that backs that up also Tends to show that the the, the everything that it has to align for the northern lights to happen, um, aligned in a similar way to the show that we got in June 2015. So it's been a while since we've had one like that, and it doesn't even have to be half the strength and just uh, nature for me to want to be out for these types of shows, right? So it was probably about. Um, five, six o'clock in the evening. There's it's still plenty of light out. And I have this app on my phone called Glendale Sky. Um, maybe we can link that in the show notes. Uh, one guy in the UK develops this app. And it, this is just a one-man show. He's he, It's kind of like his side gig. Um, but he spends pretty much every day keeping it alive because at this point on nights where there's expected Aurora Borealis he gets like a million hits on his app (laughs) so for him to keep this running is costly um, and he does a really really good job Andy Sables I think his name is shout out Um, he's a wonderful guy um, super helpful app but it's extremely technical and super overwhelming so if you don't already know what the data means probably don't get that app until you go on like spaceweatherlive.com Or something and read up about all the little variables that have to align for the Northern Lights. Okay.
0: Now, now, for people who aren't really familiar, what's like the what? What are the the couple of like really prime data points that you look at and go, okay, maybe it's worth going out.
1: Okay, so the um, there's a few. the The high points are KP, which is kind of like a generalization of it. Kind of represents um likelihoods based on all the other data points, and the KP is like the the what the news stations like to hook onto, um, but it doesn't always. Align with what the data shows. It's just kind of like a conglomerate number, right? So, KP, let's say like four or five is like, okay, probably worth going out for because it, it might be good or it might be nothing. Anything above that, um, the data is probably going to represent something um, pretty, pretty worthwhile. Uh, If you want to get just like the next level, because KP is not really reliable, if you understand the rest of it, um, there's something called the BZ, there's something called hemispheric power. These two things are much more important. When you go on to like spaceweatherlive.com or when you go and find the specific NOAA page for the Aurora Borealis tracking, because they do daily tracking, you're going to see this Ovation model. It's a, it's a visual graphic of what the uh, geomagnetic geomagn- storm is kind of doing in our atmosphere around the globe, um, particularly uh, in the northern hemisphere. And they do have a section for the southern, I believe. Um, and what it's going to show is like this big green band that circles the Arctic Circle, basically. And then the thicker it is, the, the more likely we're able to see it at further south latitudes. So like 45, latitude 45 is kind of like... Pretty much where um, if it's even a, a, a bit likely, um, that's kind of like the limit point. Now, last Thursday, I was seeing pictures from people who were taking them in Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. That is extremely rare, uh, but I believe it based on what I was seeing that night. So anyway, back to me sitting in my living room at like five, six o'clock in the evening. I looked at the app. And what's so amazing about this app is it's kind of um, community supported. Andy has this feature where um, if you're a member and you've been there for a while, you can upload a picture of what you're seeing and tell and tag it whether you see Aurora, whether you see clear skies with no Aurora, or whether you just see clouds. And then it kind of pins it on a map so you can see where in the world people are or are not seeing Aurora. And I was seeing it. What's nice about that, him being in the UK, is he has a lot of. Photographer contacts in the UK who are using the app, which means for us here about a four-hour different time difference, we get a bit of a preparation period. If they're seeing an amazing show four hours ahead of us and it's still light out here, that gives people in the states here a few hours to prepare and go. Okay, they're definitely seeing something that's going to hang around for at least the next four hours. I'm getting outside, so that's about the time that I decided. All right, it's time to get packing. Um, That's pretty nice. Yeah, it's really handy because the other apps out there, if you just go and search Aurora Borealis or like Aurora Tracker apps on the iPhone or Play Store even, none of them compare. They're all going to use the KP. They're all going to give you these little bar graphs that show you, oh, it's supposed to be KP5 or 6. They're pretty inaccurate unless there's like an extreme spike. There's probably a reason for that extreme spike. Um, They just take the generalizations and you can go out on a KP5 night get nothing, go out on another KP five night and get an amazing show. So,
0: yeah. So that's generally how I've always done it. Right. Like I'll look in when it's saying like, there's a freaking storm, yo, that's the only time I really care. Cause that's what I know I should yeah. go out. But what you were saying, that's not so nice. Uh, when I've always chased him, I've been in Northern Minnesota, right? So like I have the luxury of, I'm usually free in the evening. It's usually clear up there and I'm, I'm so close that, all I need to know is that, like, it's going to happen soon because I get to go outside my cabin and, like, find a cool spot to set up. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know that you were using it so preemptively to be like, oh, no, it's a for sure thing. Like, I'm going out today because I probably would have drove up if I if I knew it was going to be even half of what I saw. So I... Ugh. I was I thinking probably, maybe it was worth the care. drive,
1: but I didn't want to tell that to you knowing you probably had to work in the morning, you know?
0: Yeah. I don't think I would have cared, but like there's, <laughs> there's, there's no real way to know that it was going
1: to be so spectacular. No, right? No. Like, um, so when there's a solar flare and a solar rejection, right? The, the, the mass that has to pass through space towards earth and hit our atmosphere in just the right way. We usually get two to three days warning, depending on the speed of that. Um, this, there, we knew there was um, a solar rejection, but the data didn't really suggest that it was going to be uh, s- uh, so perfectly aligned to give us that type of show. So nobody was quite prepared until the day of, which is um, kind of short notice for most people. Um, so yes, I use that app. There's lots of data points. It's one of the most up-to-date um, pieces of software like this. This app, you you can't go somewhere. Um, else, where that amount of data is pulled into one place and and keeps it up to date as frequently as that does, it uses fifteen minute intervals to tell um, things like hemispheric power and BZ. And back to those data points, um, hemispheric power. If we're above like fifty, I think it's uh, it measures it in uh, gigawatts, something like that. If you're if we're above fifty, um, that's kind of where you're starting to go. Okay, it's probably worth maybe going out and taking a look and then it can climb up into triple digits on the good nights, right? Uh, BZ is another important one. So hemispheric power is more like a, here's the general uh, potential intensity. So like potential energy, right? The BZ, um, I don't, I can't think of what the actual, uh, what the acronym stands for, but this is a, whether it's um, positive or negative type of thing. If the BZ is positive at all zero or above, um, it's kind of like a light switch as, kind of what we like to say if it is positive um you're almost not going to see the aurora unless the all the other variables are peaking at insane numbers um if the number drops below zero uh, even negative one your chances are much much greater uh, for whatever reason i don't understand the actual reactions happening relative to the number but all i know is that when the bz goes south your chances are much, much higher. And the further okay. south, why, the better. Why why go into it more? That's, that's perfect. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's <laughs> easy, too easy, nerdy maybe. to really, really <laughs> dig and, like, yeah. care, oh. right? So yeah. sub-zero, let's go, baby. That's it, that's it. Um. So, Hemispheric Power, BZ, those two are, like, the better numbers to understand. And looking at the Ovation model, you can kind of understand what's happening throughout the day, and you can kind of see the trend of, oh, that green band is building and building and building and getting thicker and bigger. It's probably going to out. So what happens is um, when it reaches back around to the states throughout the night, that's kind of where it peaks in the middle of the night and then starts to fade away usually when the storm hits it at, at, uh, during the middle of the day or early in the day. Um, it, it definitely depends on when the impact hits. Um
0: so anyway, yeah, this is, this is like a pretty base, like what you need to know <laughs> to get into like chasing the aurora. I'm You're sorry, definitely dude. not like a meteorologist or, <laughs> no, no. yeah, which is cool, which is fine. Like, it's, I don't think okay. we need to no. go too technical, but this is, this is helpful because like, I like to have this, you know, for, for, for those of formally yeah. spoken
1: about. Yeah. For, the, for those of you on like Facebook, there's a couple of groups out there that are super helpful if you don't want to learn this stuff. If you go out and search for Great Lakes Aurora Hunters or if you're in Michigan, Michigan Aurora Chasers, those groups are huge. And if you just want to know if people are seeing the Aurora, get on those groups um, and probably put notifications on or something so that you don't miss that. Because when the Aurora is happening, especially like that, you're never, you're never going to miss a post by them. There's too many so that's a good hack for that. Um, so anyway, yeah, it was about 9 PM. I got out there after I got the kids to bed. Um, and I met a couple of guys out there who were already shooting at Fisherman's Island where I like to go here in, in Charlevoix for a lot of different reasons, but it's pretty good for Astro as well. And, uh, there was a couple of guys out there which was a little unusual for the middle of winter. Cause not a lot of people put the effort in to get to that area, but they did. So that was cool. We hung out. Uh, they happened to know me already, which was funny. And, um, it was cool. We got to shoot and then they went home at about 10, maybe 10 30 PM, which I wasn't going to tell them like, Hey, the data is like looking like it's going to get even better throughout the night because they were talking about needing to get up at 6 AM for work. And I'm like, I'll just, you know, let them decide for themselves. I'm sure they're knowledgeable. Um, but <laughs> they should have stayed out cause it was insane. Um, and I'm sure they got great images, but I was out there until 3 AM and I had, Four batteries with me for the A7C and the A7 IV, and they were all spent by three o'clock in the morning. I, it was nuts. I I made the video. I didn't even intend to make a video. um The once I got out at about nine o'clock, I was looking at the numbers, going, "Okay, if I even try to make a video, this would be the night to do it because the data suggests that it's going to be pretty powerful and you'll see it on camera." So I did. And right away, as soon as I got out there, it was just going bonkers, and it only got better from then on. So, you—if you want to watch the video, you can see in real time what I was seeing, what I was shooting, and I show a bunch of images. It's pretty nuts. It was it was amazing, and un—it's a—it's a the best show I've ever seen in my life. There are a couple close second and thirds though, um, but certainly once in a lifetime, if you don't chase this stuff as often as I do.
0: Yeah. So, uh, for those, I know there are some listeners that have been kind of kicking around that are far less technical than us that don't like do a ton of shooting yet. And thank you for listening. You guys are awesome. Um, for someone who is interested in the Aurora and I have these conversations at camp every year because I'm the nerdy guy that wakes people up at camp and says, Hey, you should probably come outside. Uh, people don't understand like how much of it you can really see on like a, a normal night and how much is like the the you know sensor intensifier which is like iso right the digital gain that brings it up to the point where you can kind of see it as as vibrant as you can in your video so like if you can it's very arbitrary there's no like you know perfect way to describe it but Based on like the image that I'm seeing in your video when you're you're doing your talking head and it's like moving like crazy behind you because you you ha- I'm gonna link the video you have to go check it out because it's actually pretty nuts and it was going on for so long. Um, how much of that was like truly visible? How much of it was like a little bit of a haze? Because I've seen it pretty decent as a haze in Minnesota, but I don't have any context for like what what your eyeballs were
1: seeing. So, the shape definition. Um, the, the kind of mass of it you see, um, it does still look pretty, pretty like milky, pretty translucent. Um, you don't see the color. You just don't. The, I feel like at times you can see hints of green and hints of magenta. And that's been the case before on good nights. Um, but the camera is just so much better at picking up color at night. Our eyes, human eyes are just not that great at that. Um, people tend to get upset online when they see images that are even somewhat edited and um, they feel like they're being cheated out of some kind of experience when they're looking at images online going, hey, that's not what it actually looks like. But there's this conversation to be had about artistic representation. um, And honestly, if you just take like a raw photo unedited, it's still going to look better than what your eyes see it's just the nature of how our technology works and everyone who owns a camera whether you like it or not it's your creative um, decision making that goes into how we all see the aurora online right yeah well i mean it's it's photons hitting a sensor yes and
0: and and, you know an rgb you know pixel deciding that you know that color is going to be However much percent that green, but like, I, so I've definitely seen green and purple that last show that I took photos of last summer, where I was like, this is actually nuts. It was depressing that I was having such a horrible phone conversation while I was taking those amazing photos. But, uh, and I, I'll, maybe I'll throw some of those on the screen as well with some of David's from this last time. Um, there it's, it's wild because for me, it was so cool to see that show. It was the most I've ever seen in person. But it's so much less than these images and these videos. But I've even seen cell phone videos now where you're like, I know for a fact your eyes aren't seeing that good. Like, cause I've seen them and I've seen them popping off. But like, I feel like now it's even harder for people who have never seen them to understand what they really look like because the cell phone does it so well. And you're like, there's no way. It's just like full on like moving like this. And it's like super, super cool. Um, it's cool when you can do it with your cell phone because then you're like actually enjoying it in real time in a way that we couldn't before. But
1: yeah, I, I'd love to talk about that for a moment because I've been around right. long enough doing this because, you know, it was only a couple of years ago where phones were just utterly incapable of doing anything at night and um, in these groups that I'm in on Facebook and whatnot, there's plenty of people who don't have a camera who go, hey, I really want to see the Northern Lights. Can I use my phone? And it used to be they'd Just the answer was no. It was just like, no, you have to buy this camera and get a wide lens with a fast aperture and all that stuff. And that is not the case anymore. Um, When I do my workshops, I even tell people now it's like, hey, if you've got a phone and you don't want to buy a camera, you can still come on this workshop because we are talking about the principles of what's going on anyway. Now we've got night modes, astro modes. Um, The camera sensors are a little bigger in phones. uh, In some cases, they're much better than they used to be. And I'm seeing so many images of people who have iPhone 10, you know, up to the newest ones, who are able to capture the Northern Lights and the Milky Way and the stars at night in a way that our DSLRs were doing only five or six years ago. Computational photography is really just punching up in this area for people. And I love it because it's accessibility like we've never had before. So many people get to experience what was isolated to photographers with this kind of knowledge for a long time. And now if you have a tripod or just a really steady hand, you can get images of the aurora and all that stuff going on at night like you never were able to before. It's incredible.
0: Yeah, it's super incredible. Um, I think it was – it might have been Peter McKinnon or somebody else recently. He was out during one. It was a YouTuber photographer. um, I'm pretty sure it was Pete. But he, like, didn't use his camera at all. Cause he was just having a good time and he took like a bunch of photos that were pretty freaking solid wow. with, of the Aurora. And I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, this, it, it wasn't his first time seeing him either. So sure. it's not like he was super motivated to like go grab an R5 or something, but it was just so interesting that like the shots were definitely good enough. Like a lot of the people at camp who would like to be out there on the lake and seeing them, if they were able to get those images on their phone, they would have loved the hell out of them. Right. Right. Um, so it is pretty impressive though, as a kind of sidebar, um, I can't remember if it was the pixel or if it was uh, Samsung of some kind, but there was some kind of scandal where their computational photography like replaced the moon or whatever, yeah. which is hilarious. It's a um, few
1: different phones. Samsung was the most recent one. Yeah. Where okay, yeah. If you zoom in a hundred times, yeah, their yeah. data of the moon, because it's tidally locked is representative of the way the moon always looks as a full moon. And so they just <laughs> overlay what the moon looks like. <laughs> Yeah, that's <laughs> it's, that's a little unfair, so funny.
0: it is super fair. Um, but yeah, it's just so much that they can do with those uh, even those tiny sensors now to not only just boost the ISO a ton, but they're doing so much to like, I don't know if it's like, uh, you know, cutting out certain like luminance so they can make like the the more compressed luminance for like nighttime mode, like more intense, like they got to be doing some kind of stuff with their hardware and their software,
1: right? I can speak to that a little bit because in astrophotography, really hardcore astrophotography with, with, um, you know, professional cameras and whatnot, uh, we do this thing called stacking where you take multiple images and stack them together and you median stack them to reduce um, or let's say improve the accuracy, the color accuracy of the pixels or In other words, you reduce the noise, right? This is what's going on in these cameras. Um, When you, like on my phone, my Google Pixel, you hold it, you you set it to night mode and then if it detects that it's on a tripod it'll turn to instead of like the moon it'll turn to stars I think and that's when you know okay it's going to be able to take up to a couple minutes worth of an exposure but if you know anything about photography and long exposure photography with the stars the longer you go the more the stars streak except when you're um, taking multiple images and then stacking them together and then it does this computation where, where it can um, correct it, for the rotation it corrects for right. the rotation and and it allow – it It fixes everything. It does so much in that little processing time after it's done where people like us who had cameras and take it to their computers later that night or the next day, we do this median stacking. We'll take it into Photoshop and correct it ourselves and that all is done – without yeah. any any input anymore.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. And if and if you haven't been doing astro for a while, I'm not gonna say that I'm an Astrophotographer, but I definitely did it with my seventy back in the day, mm-hmm. right? Like years ago. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was a lot of manual work unless you had like Honestly, some kind of janky software you had to pay for that wasn't Photoshop. Like that was dedicated to, um, you know, there's a couple really good time-lapse ones and things like that. There's some that you can develop like proper um, star streaks if you want Mm -hmm. to do like the full warpy thing. There was some dedicated software, but now it's getting, like this stuff's getting baked into... Photoshop, It's getting baked into all this stuff where they're stacking like you could stack 100 images together now and it'll figure it out for mm-hmm. you and all that. It's so wild. It's basically like as easy as it. I don't know how it can get
1: easier now. You know, yeah, <laughs> no.
0: it's it's wild.
1: This type of work was um, a dedication to understand and to 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 do. And now it's just done for you. You don't even have to understand it for it to be done for you. And you get this amazing result. So computational photography, it, you know, we can have... We can have an argument all day long about what it does for the for the industry, but for the everyday person, having more access, having more access to something like this, where more people can go out and see the Aurora and take photos, gives us the ability as people who are super passionate about the night sky to talk more about uh, policies and things that actually affect our ability to see the night sky. So there's a lot of movement in different cities right now, talking about what kind of lighting to use for streetlights and buildings and things like that that cast so much light in the sky light pollution is a huge topic of discussion in certain cities uh and this is one of the avenues where more and more people are going to be able to have this discussion and have it relate to them like they never have before
0: absolutely agreed I mean I was out in uh you know the desert in Utah just was that two years ago last year something like that and uh I was with a couple of my friends and it was one, they did the test launch for Starlink. Right. And that was only like 60 satellites or something like that. And we were like, what is going to happen if they just decide that it's okay to put like tens of thousands of satellites that you can visibly see shooting Mm -hmm. along the sky. I was like, okay, well if I was trying to do long exposure stuff or just like observe constellations or whatever, gone, that ability completely gone. Um, and it was like, I remember, you know, being talking to my buddy Taylor and talking to, you know, Tommy and Kyle. And like, it felt horrible. Like it was like a weird, like dystopia we were headed towards when like, there wasn't going to be a night sky, like where I was like, what's the next? Are we just going to start seeing ads in the sky? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the, what's the move here in 10, 15 years? Like, yeah. Cool. I had sky a... billboards. <laughs>
1: I had a similar experience in August of 2020. Somebody, um, Travis Warner, shout out to you, f- driving out from uh, Oregon or Washington State, one of the, in that area, he drove back to Michigan for family, but he hung out with me for the, one of the nights the Perseid meteor shower was going on. And the Aurora Borealis happened to show up that night too, and um, multiple times that night Starlink came in uh, the the big train of them if you'd ever seen it and you were shocked by what you were looking at and came to understand it you'll never forget it it's just like it looks like tons of big bright stars in one line just streaking across the sky totally like you know you don't want to say something like that ruins your shot but it does because it wasn't the intention of the shot right like if I intended to capture Starlink that's a different thing but I was like shooting the Northern Lights and the Persades and I didn't want that there
0: It sucked. It's it's so weird, and that's just a few of them, right? That's just yeah. It was like like twenty or twenty five of them. Yeah, and like uh, we counted. So we watched it go across the sky. It took about three and a half minutes, and then another two and a half minutes later, we saw it off further in the horizon, coming the other way, orbiting. And we're like, (laughs) dude, this is garbage. Because like we're in Utah, dude. We were in the desert where there was no light. Like I could see everything. It looked like my eyes were HD. Like it was it was nuts. And uh, I was like, well, that sucks. That's yeah. miserable. So I was like, this was going to be a really chill time. We had, you know, some warm drinks and we're hanging out. And we're like, cool. Thanks, Elon.
1: Unfortunately, <laughs> you have people who are never going to have that experience and not understand how how bad that feels. But more people having access to this technology at least gives them a foot in the door for that discussion. Because no. they don't – I can promise you if you're listening to this right now and you've never seen Starlink but you wanted to go out and sh- see the aurora, it's a distraction. It's not the – it's not natural. Um, we can say all these things whether Starlink is worth having or whatever. But it, it it sucks when it just streaks across the sky and you don't want that kind of man-made thing just distracting you from whatever you're trying to experience.
0: Yeah. And like, what's the end, right? You know, like I said, what if it's ten, tens of thousands of yeah. satellites and now now big corporations are fighting for airspace and, and there's ads in the sky and it's like, what, what is the end to just being able to like commercialize the, the night sky? Yeah.
1: Yeah. There Hate was talk <laughs> a couple of years ago about them using some less reflective material and then supposedly they did, but they're still able to be seen pretty easily. Oh, so I have no idea what the what 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 it's going to end up looking like a couple of years from now. It could be pretty awful.
0: Right on. Like um, we're
1: just now on the cusp of talking about better lighting for on the ground here on Earth, just for us to ruin it in the sky. Yep. <laughs> right,
0: it's it's a pain. We'll uh, we'll uh, we'll likely talk about this again. It it is pretty interesting. Sure. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, man, uh, I'm glad you got out and saw that. Like I said, I'll, I'll flash a couple more of his images up on the screen when if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, obviously, you know, his links for Instagram and stuff will be in the show notes as well. So go check out that. If you're curious, uh, some of it was just like, it was like cheating. Like You just you point one of those cameras that are, you know, from the last couple of years where they're really good and the ISO performance, yeah, you were shooting at like 10,000 ISO and it's like, that's pretty clean man yeah. like if i if i tried 10k on a 7d i might as well throw that camera away <laughs> mm-hmm. it was <laughs> so. like cheating
1: and they were so bright like it was in all in all directions i couldn't have yeah. i couldn't have picked a composition that didn't work with the aurora it was crazy
0: oh yeah you're you're at like uh what 0.8 seconds or whatever like you weren't even yeah doing super like one long to exposures. two seconds it was
1: nuts
0: yeah. yeah that's super cool i i had a lot of a lot of fun that last time i i saw mine because i was over a lake and uh you know, I had caught them before, but they were all pretty tame. So, yeah. uh, I, I that show last summer was so good that I think I would need to see something like that one for it to really wow me. Because, um, yeah, yeah, spectacular stuff. Yeah, um, get out and uh, enjoy the night sky while you have it, y'all. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, well, my week wasn't as fun because I didn't get an aurora show, but. I do have uh, images that I shot uh, hanging up in downtown Keizu right now, which is pretty cool. Uh, they got the posters that I took of uh, this coffee, actually, um, downtown, and uh, that's the first time I've ever had my stuff blown up and on display publicly. So that's, that's awesome, cool. man. What, what sizes? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I don't know. It's bigger. Than, it looks bigger than like a 16 by 20 print. So it's like in their window cool. and stuff. It's like a pretty big print. Uh, That's awesome. I'll, I'll flash that on the screen cause they took a photo of it and put it on, uh, their factory coffee Instagram, but that always um, feels good. But yeah, so they did like a run of posters and stuff. So they're like hanging up and stuff like that. It's like Kalamazoo drinks and then it's like my hand. So my hand is blown <laughs> up downtown and it's, uh, it's the, uh, can of coffee, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Um, Nice. I enjoy that. Obviously, I enjoy this coffee. I'm still drinking it because I don't have coffee stuff here at the house. Um, but uh, I tried it with milk and ice earlier this morning, and it's quite good. It is oh. It is absolutely the best canned coffee I've ever had in my life. Nice. Um, all right. I'm, I'm comfortable saying that now. So now uh, the next topic that I had today was uh, the obvious that you know it's all over the Internet, and everybody's talking about it, is that uh, Amazon, the wonderful – wonderful place amazon is is killing probably the most important photography website on the internet
1: (laughs) yeah i mean it's relevance still it still has relevance today and i mean we can go back and forth on the stories of what we've ever needed to go to dp review for um it's it's so it's it's sad right like has there? Do you know if there's any update on, on who and what is able to archive this right now? All right. So
0: for those of you listening, there's a website, if you're not familiar with it, called dpreview.com. And it has been around since basically digital photography started. And it was made because there was no place on the Internet to talk about digital photography when photographers thought that it was just a fad and nobody gave a crap. And they're like, well, digital photography is going to die in like a year. You just watch and uh, here we are today. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's been around for a long time. And what they do really well, for those of you who aren't uh, in the know about it or nerdy enough to care, frankly, um, they have some of the best, I would call it, scientific Um, Like comparisons for how sensors stack up to other sensors, how cameras stack up to other cameras, Um, as far as having some forum space for conversation and just reviewing like consumer stuff and sharing news and things like that. It it was kind of like the spot for good information on digital photography. And like a lot of the the YouTubers have talked about this week is like a lot of people really started there with their digital photography life. Um, you know, I came into it probably 10 years late because I didn't get really into photography seriously till 2010. But um, even then, uh, I was using that adjacent to just looking at galleries on Flickr. Like mm-hmm. those were the two resources for me was dpreview.com and flickr.com. Yeah. And uh, it's it's pretty wild that one, uh, damn Amazon remembered that they bought them back in the day. Because uh, if they just forgot for longer, it wouldn't even be a problem. No. Um, but yeah, so Amazon was laying off a bunch of different departments and things like that and consolidating probably for all sorts of reasons by, you know, multi-billion dollar companies do. And they decided to finally go, well, we don't really need this because it's not really profitable um, in a way that like Amazon is, you know optimizing profitability but that means some of the most talented people that you know test this equipment are hopefully not completely screwed but like some of them i know i think at dpreview.com like the actual like testers and stuff i don't know that they've landed somewhere yet um chris nichols and jordan drake are obviously like kind of spearheading talking about it because they're the DPReviewTV.com tv.com or com tv youtube channel personalities right um but they were contract, like they weren't like employees of dpreview.com. So they they don't have all the info on where everybody's at. So they're just kind of trying to get people to, you know, see where that happens. If there's anybody out there that's helping, um, you know, try to collect some of these people. Uh, I hope they land somewhere. Um, you know, Linus Tech did have them on the WAN show. Uh, I was kind of hoping they'd scoop up some DP Review guys for mm-hmm. the lab. They still might. Who knows? We don't know. Uh, it sounded like probably not on the Wan Show, but you never know. You know, mm-hmm. some of those DP Review guys might end up up in Canada. Um, it's real close to where they're at. You know, but um, yeah. So it's just kind of lame, as far as I know. Uh, to get back to your question, I don't know that anybody is openly archiving it. Um, there's a bunch of people that are moving some of the information to different forums, but as far as I've seen, it's like. All right, Fuji people come to it feels like people are trying to more so just get people and users on their forums. It doesn't really feel like uh yeah. consolidating all the 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 material. So um we don't even know what's gonna happen with the YouTube channel yet. As far as I heard on Jordan Drake's uh, golden hour podcast with um, Dave Altizer last night. I, I listened to that when I went to bed, and it sounds like He's hopeful that they'll just leave it up because it doesn't, you know, they're not hosting it. They have no reason to delete the channel, so hopefully, it just kind of stays in perpetuity on the internet. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I think it's a huge <laughs> loss for the community. Yeah, massive. Um, it's one of the cleanest websites to find comparisons if you're trying to look for you know say you're trying to get like the 20 to 70 24 to 105 and you're like looking at lens <laughs> comparisons it's a very clean place to get a lot of the information you need on gear
1: um not only that but dp review the site is still so uh so active it's got yeah. a, an extremely strong community that engages on a daily basis <clears throat> and there is I mean, decades worth of information there, but not just written by the team at DP Review. The community puts in a ton of work and they talk back and forth. Like I was saying before, I've gone to DP Review because I've had issues with cameras, issues with what I'm seeing in my files. And I'll go on DP Review solely because I know that there's going to be people there who have seen and typed up the same things I'm seeing. And then you're going to see all the 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 experienced photographers come in chime in and go this is what you're seeing this is the problem this is how to fix it i've that's been the case probably dozens of times for me in my life of shooting it's such an invaluable site
0: yeah i mean the forum is is it's the photography forum like if you if you google something about a thing and you need to know troubleshoot dp review is going to be probably the first place um, there, there isn't really a runner-up as far as an all-collected review data, news, information forum, the whole shebang, all in one spot. There really isn't something, um, and it was independent. You know, uh, Jordan Drake was actually talking last night. Like, it's wild that it was such a, a feature, but almost nobody cared because it's something that they didn't notice. But they didn't run ads on DpreviewTV.com uh, well on like the YouTube channel, right? So like you didn't get pre-rolls, you didn't get stuff like that cause it was independent. It wasn't sponsored stuff. Um, and that's really rare. That's so rare. It's such a special thing. Um, so yeah, it's a huge loss and yeah. I, it, it'll take a while, but something will fruit from it. Um, it always does, you know, a Phoenix fire or whatever, but, uh, you know, Jordan Drake and Chris Nichols will still be doing their show. I'm actually excited about their, their show on Petapixel because it sounds like Petapixel is going to give them a lot more, uh, like free reign, which like, I hope that means they get to do like more wooden nickels stuff. If you're not familiar, they do like, they'll take a scene from a movie and they'll try to recreate the whole thing. And they did it to like a pretty high level. They would get a DP and they would like really go for it. And they do really interesting stuff. Um, Because this all happened, it was the first time I ever saw haters of Jordan and and Chris, which I thought was crazy. I was like, man, they're like, they're the first place I look at when a new piece of gear comes out as I watch the DP review channel um, for, you know, lenses and cameras and stuff, because it's you're going to get photo. Then you're gonna get video, and it's gonna be condensed in a way that anybody can kind of understand and be kind of okay and fun. It was a very casual, good show, in my opinion, and uh, I'm just glad that they landed somewhere and they'll be doing their thing. Because I don't know if I could deal with both losses.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Say what you will about the the state of Petapixel or as it's been for the last few years. Um, This is only gonna help. Petapixel, really? Jordan and Chris being on there, providing the knowledge that they have and the likability and the credibility that they have. Um, This is going to really help Petapixel a lot. And if that means they get extra resources, great. Because I can't imagine a scenario where Amazon basically just... Didn't even know that they owned them for a long time, and probably had no contact <laughs> of of any kind for a while um, until they had to really buckle down. But uh, yeah, if it means better resources for them, and if it means helping out Petapixel, uh, it, that because that's what it's going to do. Um, yeah. Good for them. Did you do you listen to uh, Jared Poland's podcast? Because he had a, a ton to say about this, and I was curious.
0: No, Jordan's uh, Jared rather is kind of like my, my, wow, I've really ran out of content to watch this week <laughs> and I'll jump on Cause like there's, there's just a couple of podcasts that are doing a little bit better of a job when it comes to like really information sure, sure, sure. stuff. And most of those podcasts had Jordan, Chris, or one of them. On so I, I I was I was trying to get it more from their mouth before I was just listening to opinion stuff so I haven't yeah. gotten to
1: all of it the, the the what it boils down to basically is he he was of the opinion and I kind of agree that um Chris and Jordan could have been um a success without petapixel if they had just well, yeah. stayed independent so what do you suppose the incentive was beyond here's a paycheck why do you think well, they've talked they were- about it so I
0: don't think that it's necessarily like a hidden thing like there's if Petapixel isn't just going to like get a gain, what they're getting is they're getting a team, they're getting resources, they're getting SEO, (coughs) which is like that SEO alone, they would do well with all the people that already know who they are. Petapixel's still going to bring them viewers that would have never looked up their channel. And that's just how that is going to work. Like it's, it's definitely a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's definitely not, Waited that like Chris and Jordan are just going to give them like the road to being a successful website you know what I mean yeah there's there's quite a lot in it for both of them in my opinion um just having the resource and the backing and stuff like that's probably huge I mean they're in Calgary right so like they're not yeah. in like a big city and uh, I bet it probably helps quite a lot otherwise if they went solo it would probably be kind of like on the coattails of the camera store still yeah like Jordan, Jordan Drake's wife still does the channel mm-hmm. at Camera Store TV, so it's it's interesting. I there's probably a lot more that we don't know about, yeah. like how how it helps out, uh, you know, Chris and Jordan. But if it means that they get the the freedom to kind of experiment and try to build something more interesting without needing to build their own teams up and stuff like that then it's it's huge cuz they would have to just do the the YouTube grind which is like they're going to probably have to do some product stuff that they don't care about um you know they're dealing with two <coughs> adult men who have families presumably yeah. and uh you know obviously I know a little bit about them but like they have a lot. They're, they're adults with families and you can't just like, all right, well, hope this channel works
1: out. Right. It would suck. It would yeah. suck, man. I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to do it. I chose not to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm sure it was probably the sensible move. I think just the, 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 the general consensus is, um, the community would have been behind them 100% if they did decide to go independently.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. And that, and again, it was in their conversations yeah. for, for a while. So, um, I can't. I don't want to try and paraphrase what they actually said, but he addresses it on the Golden Hour podcast. I think they addressed it a little bit on the Linus Tech Podcast, and um, it was it was everywhere. So um, definitely follow those dudes on Twitter if you're into that stuff. Give them some support while they have this transition, and and check out that Petapixel channel when they start making stuff. That stuff will start going up in May. Um, the last of their DP review stuff I think is trickling out through April, um, but yeah that's that's my favorite channel and like i survived moving from the camera store tv to dp review with them i'm sure i even tweeted out to chris nichols i think and i was like yeah i think i'll survive another move as long as it's them making the stuff they like dude i'm stoked um and like i said i hope they can get more creative because that's huge for me yep uh did you watch that wan show by the way oh i did i stayed up to watch it last night it was (laughs) something else It was it was crazy. The the whole story of uh them getting hacked and things. i d I'm not gonna get super far into that in this this podcast, but it was uh wild yeah. to <laughs> for yeah. them to break down exactly how that happened. It and was a good it breakdown. Was, it, was, yeah. it was so funny how like stoked on life Luke was. Oh yeah.
1: For <laughs> like forty-eight <laughs> like, hours or something <laughs> of nonstop adrenaline. Everything's
0: on fire. I've been waiting for this day for years. Yeah. Um, I I'm gonna throw out the conspiracy theory that this was all Luke's plan when he became oh. CTO to have <laughs> have some stuff to do and That's spice good. up the world. Um, I'm surprised that their channel was returned to them in like a
1: relatively neutral
0: state. That was wild.
1: Yeah. I, I imagine the connections they have for their reps and whatnot go pretty high. So, you know, well, yeah, but like, you got to figure
0: those dudes did damage to their freaking yeah, Dave AdSense <laughs> on just
1: those three channels alone is we're talking a lot of money. Yeah.
0: Well, and then just like publicizing a bunch of unlisted videos yeah. and like moving a bunch of stuff, deleting a ton of stuff, changing a bunch of descriptions, yeah. you know, putting that crypto link in all of them and stuff. Uh they still have about 15.3 million subs, and I'm sure once. People were online and they were like, what the f- is this Tesla stuff? And they're just like yeah. unsubbing from this like trash channel. Uh, it's just so it's just surprising. Like, yeah. I don't know how that works on the back end of, you know, those servers. But I feel like it probably has like images taken over time for big channels, maybe. I don't know. It sounds <laughs> like it was a, a pretty crazy week
1: yeah if you're into like four and a half hour long freaking video podcast this is the one to watch because um, if you watch Linus Tech Tips or any of his subsidiary channels you probably noticed this and they break it down pretty well I think after the uh, Chris and Jordan interview they go into it and it's um kind of it's a pretty interesting story and it was amazing to me um, hearing it from Luke go this is just how well our team worked together without yeah. even being asked to do specific things they just knew exactly what to do and they got right to it it was pretty fascinating
0: yeah it's cool um i certainly i certainly found it interesting that like there's so much you don't think about having such an expansive team and just how many points of failure there are for like getting hacked and and all that stuff. So basically if you're listening to this and for some reason you don't have, maybe not LastPass, but if you're not using like Bitwarden or have some kind of password manager or, you know, you're just like password one, two, three and all your stuff, you should really like make sure you have systems in place to recover your accounts and, and everything like that. I would
1: at least actively change that. it once in a while.
0: Yeah. Well, and they <laughs> should, they should be relatively complicated passwords yeah. and you should have two factor authentication. And that like, for you sure. Should, You probably shouldn't just be, uh, you know, leaving sessions open on multiple computers for long extended periods of time and stuff like that, right? Yeah, the point Um, of attack
1: was pretty interesting. What they were talking about with the session tokens and whatnot—it was something that so like if somebody just like
0: gets into your computer, copies all your cookies and everything, and then like bails out, you will never know they were in your computer, and all of a sudden they have access to some of your stuff. Yeah. So I I know so many people that are like no, I don't want to even use like CCleaner on my computer because then I have to re-log into stuff. It's like, dude, you should probably be resetting some things if you're on like year three of this is the same active session on my Facebook account from (laughs) years ago. Yeah, it was pretty Uh, wild. Yeah, I, I re-logged into all my stuff, changed a couple of passwords that are a little long, and then like made made sure my Bitwarden was up to date. And I actually changed my master password, which is incredibly long. And uh you know, I I go into like my points of um I guess like, I guess the level of security I need for certain websites, I trickle down versions of passwords, like the format of my password. So I'm using full sentences with random capitalizations and like numbers, number sequences on something like Bitwarden, right? So like, you like have fun trying to crack like 46 characters of very different things. You know, there's like punctuation and things that you have to get correct. And it's a pain, but it's kind of necessary
1: when you've got assets to protect.
0: Yeah, I certainly don't want somebody getting my Bitwarden password and then they have access to all my banks and all my other things, yeah, right? And then there's, there's some there's some stuff that I go so far as to it's just not in Bitwarden and it's at the same level as my Bitwarden password, right? Like if you're trying to get into like my social security stuff or, um, you know, my, you know, other things. i <laughs> yeah. will get too into it. But like it's, you know, your internet security is really important and change your passwords. Yep. <laughs> yep <laughs> don't uh, don't password one two three anymore those days are far behind us yes <laughs> but right on so uh I don't i didn't really pick around for a lot of news and rumors this week um, there's a couple that i wanted to talk about uh, i'll throw you kind of a, a curveball how if you haven't seen it um sam yang is basically copying the 35 to 150 f2 to f28 formula that Tamron did um i'm not sure how i feel about that it it almost cheapens samyang to such a low level for me that i'm like man it's a tamron lens formula you copied like it can't be that good.
1: <laughs> yeah um i had i did see it i didn't really look into it because i felt kind of the same way like ugh this is kind of a a, a, a cheap move for even san and it's samyang it's, Sam it's like they're they're used to that tier of kind of value anyway but to see that was like hmm they just saw some inkling of success out of tamron's interesting zooms and they're trying to go yeah. for it which is you know it's a business yeah. move it's it's gonna probably sell but you probably should buy the tamron version if you're gonna buy that lens yeah
0: seriously um i mean it's probably fine that's better than any kit like if if somebody oh, was gonna like hey i want to buy like a three-year-old sony and i want one really good lens like that who that's probably a pretty good one yeah but It just, it felt weird. I was like, man, I, uh, I don't love that you have every opportunity to kind of just like push the envelope and make some weird stuff. And you just decided to choose somebody else's weird stuff. Um, that goes into the next topic, which is, uh, I'm really excited about. So the first one that I saw was that Sigma's CEO talked about a potential mirrorless 18 to 35. And if you've never used the Sigma 18 35 F1A and you've been in the game even longer than three years, I think that's crazy um, because it's probably one of the best lenses that I've ever used. I've um, never actually used just, it. I actually just. I just got rid of mine recently, actually. Um, but I used it back on the 70. I used it throughout my entire experience with the GH4 and 5. And it was just stunningly sharp. Um, it was basically a crop sensor 18 to 35 1.8 set of primes you know the zoom range isn't long but it literally performed so well across the entire like focal length that it was so hard to beat for Mm -hmm. photography Um, and for crop sensor whether it be micro four thirds or APS-C video Um, with a .64x metabone speed booster on my GH5 I was like breaking full frame that setup is is nearly full frame in field of view and uh like um depth of field right super shallow super sharp you know chuck a fill a mist filter on it and it was it was cinema heaven back in like 2017 it was the best of the best of the best with honor sir you know um and that makes me Way, way, way more apt to look at the next future of like an FX30 or something because I would slap an E-mount 18 to 35 formula that's like DGDN or D D DGDC or whatever it is for the crop almost instantly. I would just run that camera. Um, so that's really exciting. I think that's going to be a huge move for the ZV E10, whatever that ends up being, like the E20 guys. Like it's going to be the probably one of the next like YouTube lenses. Everybody's going to probably recommend it as long as they get it right. Right. And I'm sure they can.
1: Yeah. I never so, used that lens, but I do know it f- uh, well because it was one of the most recommended lenses for a whole lot of uses. Um, right. So yeah, of course it would be wonderful to see that um, uh, reiterated for mirrorless for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then that comes with the, you know, the same interview talking about um, getting into like more innovative designs and, and, i just i think sigma's to a point where they're making essentially first-party lenses they're the quality of first-party lenses and if they start getting weird like you and i have talked about on this podcast they're gonna they're gonna break some they're gonna break some internet days i think i'd love to see something like their 24 to 35 f2 full frame lens um something like that not don't just copy that and make it a dgdn but like those it's a zoom but basically primes style lenses i'm super into you know Mm -hmm. we have the 28 to 70 f2 from canon like what would sigma do um i'm i'm super keen on that stuff especially as a run and gunner i mean obviously i love the 20 to 70 because that range is exceptional but make it fast and slightly bigger what are we doing like (laughs) give me the lens that i don't swap off of my camera i'm super into it
1: yeah yeah
0: If you were to design without thinking about physics or anything, your ideal lens formula from focal range to uh, f-stop, barring anything ridiculous, like I want like a 24 to 120 f1.8 or something full frame, uh, something that's not unrealistic, what would you...
1: Um, you know what's funny is back on like the D5300, the kit lens for that was the 18 to 55. I would love an 18 to 55 that was like a 2.8. If, th- sure. if that as a kit would be amazing on full frame. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not super unrealistic from a physics standpoint. It would have to be large. Um, right. But. I would love to see that range because I'm shooting 20 now and um, at one eight. It's really awesome for Astro, but even at two eight, if I had the range to go to 55, uh, 55 at two eight can produce some really nice portraits, I would imagine. Uh, so that would be a range I would love to see. Yeah. Like a proper 16 to 35 killer.
0: Yeah. Um, Cause like yeah, I'm into that. Sometimes I sometimes I look at 16 to 35 and I miss having that focal range for full frame. And I go, but like I have a 35 prime, which I'm gonna want on the 35 end. And the the wide end ends up being so small What am I got like I got 16 to 28, and then I you know obviously I wanted the 16 to 28 for that exact reason. But 18 to 55. Now we're talking like this 20 to 70 a 4 situation. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's like a. I could leave the house for an entire
1: weekend with that lens and be right. totally fine. I mean, there's yeah. a reason that's it, it was the kit lens. The range is yeah. nice. I would just like to see better performance, you know, background separation, things like that. If okay. they could really beef up that range, I'd love to see it. Yeah.
0: I mean, a full frame equivalent, it's it's the 28 mm-hmm. to 70 formula, mm-hmm. basically. So it's you're talking like a, a wide standard zoom on a full frame, yeah. which is like... It's just interesting. It's, yeah. it's a space that I think is probably hard to do optically, which is yeah. why they don't push that envelope uh, down to 2.8, anyway. Obviously, they make uh, pretty decent stuff at a 4, um, you know, 16 to 50s or stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think that'd be cool. Yeah. The 16 to 55 APS C lens that um, the 2.8 that uh, Sony makes is quite good. Um, I've only used it very briefly, but that feels like a super premium lens for APS-C. So mm. if they could build a formula a little bit bigger, make it like a, at least as good as a G, uh, Sigma would have something there. That'd be cool.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: I don't think I had an answer. So I was just curious what you'd say. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just I, the I, top I, of my head. Cause you know, it I like... been... go ahead. I was going to say, I happen to agree. I think that'd be a pretty cool lens.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I was going to say that um, a lot of people who first get into photography, that's the first lens they touch, or at least was the case um, when like the D5300 and that era of cameras were really popular. That's the kit that was pretty much the one to come with unless you upgraded to the 55 to 200 or whatever it was. Um, Yeah. Before we sign off, I wanted to tell you and the listeners, I finally did get out for a photography morning with no video. <laughs> I thought it was important to say. I did nothing coffee video related at all. I took my um, A7 IV with the 150 to 600 and did some wildlife photography for a couple of hours. Had a nice morning just um, capturing some geese and, and swan and some ducks. And it was just great. I had a really good time. So I got that for myself. Uh, I got my fix for a while.
0: That's a win. Uh, don't say for, for a while, while, because it's about to get a little warm, I think. and I It's going to be pretty nice to get out and shoot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm excited. Uh, we we had like a, a breath of a really nice day, and then yesterday it snowed its butt off. Mm-hmm. Just big flakes of snow. And me, I, I went and saw John Wick 4 with Evan and Hope, and we were just like this the whole ride. We were like, <laughs> why is this happening? I guess we chose a good day to watch movies. We ended up uh, also... Uh, Hope had never seen Joe Dirt. Mm. So <laughs> so after John Wick 4, we made her sit through Joe Dirt. She actually liked it more than John Wick 4. Oh, funny. Um, uh, John Wick 4 wasn't very good, Uh-oh. but uh, unfortunately, but it happens. Uh, there was a really, really great pupper in it, though, that made it worth it for me the whole time. There you go. Um, and then after that, uh, Evan recently updated his um, receiver down in the theater room that he has. And so it has Atmos, And this didn't have proper Atmos, but it still had like Dolby surround. And we watched Top Gun Maverick, which was my first time since I saw it in theaters during its open. And that movie is so damn good. Uh, Fantastic. Like it it basically isn't a sequel. That's how good it is. If you disagree, I don't like you. And you're just (laughs) wrong. Um, Because it's so hard to make a movie decades later. That's a sequel to another movie simultaneously like having good callbacks to it and making it like well written and emotionally like driven and then still absolutely just crush it. And I think they did that. I think it was a really hard thing to do while also taking on all the crazy technical stuff they did for that film. And like, wow, it was just such a good time. And then we followed it up by watching a bunch of stuff about real fighter jets on YouTube for a while. Um, Nice. That was pretty sick. Awesome. So, yeah, uh, not a whole lot of shooting, but uh, good movie stuff this weekend. Um, but the weather is shaping up. There's sun today. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to try and get out and shoot something. I'm, I'm at least gonna go down and do a selfie for my Instagram story next to the uh, the factory coffee poster that's cool. hanging up in the window before that's done. So for I sure. do want to do that. But but yeah, uh, I guess we'll see what happens next week. Thank you guys if you're still listening. You know, make sure you uh, hit us with the old follows, sub on YouTube. All the links are below. There's a lot of photography going up from that Aurora. Uh, You know, David always tells you it's super easy to drop a review on the Spotify. We would love to see that. Um, Our few dedicated listeners, you're the best.
1: You are. And if you're on YouTube and you do uh, happen to go out and photograph the Aurora, why don't you drop a comment in the YouTube video and tell me your Aurora stories? I would love to
0: see that. I'd love to see what you guys have, especially if it's not from Minnesota or Michigan, because (laughs) uh, I've seen a lot from those places. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah. Well, that's the show. We love y'all, and we'll talk to you next weekend. Thanks, guys. See ya.